Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 670 of Accelerate. Now I have two great guests lined up for you today. Joining me first will be Jill Stanton. Jill's the co-founder of Screw the 9 to 5. And following my talk with Jill will be another in my series of weekly conversations with my friend Bridget Gleason. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is the game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by more than 250 researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insight to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. See the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. All right, first up today is my guest, Jill Stanton. Jill is co-founder with a husband, Josh, of Screw the 9 to 5. This is a really incredible resource to help lifestyle entrepreneurs, excuse me, digital nomads, learn how to start and run their own businesses successfully. And today we're really going to dive into how to talk about how to build a career on your own terms. Among the things we'll cover are why successful entrepreneurs have to continually keep learning. I can never stop learning. And this is you know, a topic I talk a lot about here on Accelerate. It doesn't matter whether you're in sales or whatever career you have is you have to keep learning. And we're also going to talk about how to successfully manage the, the dual demands of your work and your personal lives as an entrepreneur. And perhaps most importantly is, is how to think about what you're doing is not just starting a company, but how to start a movement around your product or your service and how to maintain the momentum of that movement. movement. So, all right, here we go. Jill Stanton, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped to dive in. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. So actually, I think it's uh, unusual maybe to find you in one spot. <laughs> Currently in one spot for a few more days, yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, between you and your husband, um, you've started numerous businesses and run them far-flung places. I mean, digital, we, digital we nomads, I guess. We, digital <laughs> nomads, I think the term is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we get around. Not so much nomadic anymore now that I have a four-month-old, but right. I'm sure we'll kick that back up once he can actually... Um, Keep up with us. <laughs> yeah, well, that believe me, that's going to be sooner than you wish. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I know it. He's already wanting to stand, and we're like, "You're four months. How is this happening?" He's oh, just yeah. like we call him a drunk meerkat because he like kind of like stands yeah, super yeah. straight, but then wobbles around. So it's quite cute. <laughs> yeah, my my son was was a similar thing. He was like uh, six months old. He's pulling himself up and starting to cruise a little bit along the furniture. And we had friends who friends who had kids, and they said. 
don't let them do that. That's <laughs> 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 like wow. I was interviewing nannies yesterday, and she was like, "So, what's your son like?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I want to encourage him with skill building and blah 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 because he's a baby genius." <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not really. He actually is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all pretty. We're all pretty convinced of that until they yeah, <laughs> persuade totally. us otherwise. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so. You and, and your husband, Josh, are founders mm-hmm. of a business called Screw the 9 to 5. And when I first heard about it and started looking at what you guys were doing, it, you know, the initial thought was, well, hey, this is sort of like you know, a Tim Ferriss four-hour work week type thing. But, mm. but that's not really what you're talking about. No. So no. tell us a little bit about what, what your mission is. Well, essentially, we just help uh, entrepreneurs. It's a lifestyle brand for entrepreneurs, basically, is what it is. So we like to touch on the topic of business, health, and life. Um, still building out the like health side of things, but that's the future vision. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, we help people, entrepreneurs, get more traffic, make more money, and really scale their businesses. Um, so whether they're just starting out and wanting to figure out all the moving pieces of this, or they've got some revenue under their belt and they're looking to go to six figures or six to seven, um, we're kind of like a, a very broad brand, <laughs> which is why we kind of wanted to move towards a lifestyle brand for entrepreneurs. Because once you started making money, like now that you've got that sorted, because if you can make like a hundred bucks, you can make a thousand. If you can make a thousand, you can make 10, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, then money doesn't become as important, right? Then you have things like relationships and investing and health and optimizing and team and all this kind of stuff. And there's so many other pieces to entrepreneurship. So we wanted to create a brand that caters to that. Okay. Well, I mean, is there a contradiction in there when you, cause you talk about, you know, once you have money, then you can start paying attention to these other things, but mm. you know, the other things are always, well, I just always feel important. Like, totally. But in the, like, let's keep it real. When you're first starting, your number one focus is to make money, right? Like you work until your eyes bleed. You typically kind of like, you know, kind of <laughs> um, just push the other stuff to the side, at least that was our experience, right? Sure. Like I wouldn't eat as much as I should, or I would eat crappier food than I stress, should. Stress eat, yeah. You know, or <laughs> stress eat, binge eat, emotional eat. Um, or I wouldn't see, I would kind of sacrifice my social life for a bit. So that's why we say like, once you've cracked, cracked the how to make money side of things, then the other pieces fall into place. And that's kind of the stuff we want to start talking about as well. So it's not always just how to make money online because there's so sure. much more to entrepreneurship. Right. Well, I mean, people oftentimes choose entrepreneurship because of the lifestyle. And mm-hmm. the lifestyle is not necessarily that you work less. Is I think that, yeah. I mean, for me, when I read something like Screw the 9 to 5, it's really not about working less. It's about having control over when you do work and so Nailed on. It. Which, is, which to me then says, well, you can still devote time to your relationships and the things you need to. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about the tools and technologies we have these days is that perhaps you don't have to... I mean, you're still going to sacrifice your time, but you do it in a way that it's not as sacrificial of the other things in your life. Yeah. And I guess like, I just didn't know any better (laughs) when we first started our first business in 2012 together. So like we would sit there and work a lot and we sacrificed weekends with friends to like get the momentum going and all of that kind of stuff. So. Which we all do at some point. I just, I just think about my own experiences. You know, I left corporate America, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. after working for startups for a long time and traveling, cool. you know, spending all my time traveling the world. And you know, I reached that point where I, I missed a birthday, which really just devastated me. Mm. And really, that sort of helped flip the switch to say, how could I do this differently, right? And yeah. that was, for me, was the spur of entrepreneurship is that starting a company and working for myself, dictating my own hours, 
was able to ensure why the kids were serving that prime activity stage so that I didn't miss a thing. So yeah. I, I think for entrepreneurs, I think increasingly there is a sense that that not so you can necessarily have it all, but that you can do it more on your own terms. Yeah, totally. And truthfully, I want to have it all. I just don't want to do it all. <laughs> that's like, hence why I was saying I was interviewing nannies yesterday. Like, I want to have it all. I want to have a great family life. I want to have a great marriage. I want to have a great business. It's just, I don't want to be the one to juggle all of that myself. So hence finding. And yeah. I, I feel like I stumbled on a living, breathing Mrs. Doubtfire yesterday. And I said to Josh, like, I'm hitting the gas. We found Mrs. <laughs> Doubtfire. She's going to be our house mom. <laughs> it's, so she's going to be like a live-in nanny? I'm not living yet. I need to dip my toes in. But yeah, we'll start part-time first. Well, you guys have had a really interesting journey because before we started recording, as you listed, I think, about a dozen places where you've lived, yep. that you and Josh had lived together, where at the same time you were, and this is, I guess, the point I was making is, you were building businesses in, mm-hmm. yeah, which you might consider somewhat exotic locales, um, certainly not home. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Because that, to me, I think for a lot of people, it's really fascinating is to think that, you know, I think you got to be so grounded these days in mm-hmm. order to start your own business. And, and you really don't. I mean, again, you have control over the time and, and where you do these things. Yeah. So um, the only thing you really need is strong Wi-Fi, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much um, in a decent time zone. That was the only struggle we found with living in Asia. I loved living in Asia. Well, tell us, um, tell us about some of the places where you lived. Yeah. Thailand for a good chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Also spent some time in Malaysia, Beijing. Um, we did a little stint, just a trip to um, Cambodia, a trip to Vietnam. But I love... When I met Josh, he was living in Beijing. Um, so he was... He kind of... I was always like, I'm not living in Asia. Like, how would I do that? And then... Over the years, I softened to the idea and I loved it. So um, the only hiccup there was the time zone. We were getting up at like 4 a.m. to do webinars. <laughs> right, right. But other than that, it's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah. what sort of dictated which, sort of which place you went to? I mean, was it just, hey, I'm interested, let's go? Well, we did Thailand because at the time, so this is back in 2012 when we first started our first business together, mm-hmm. uh, we had found this... Um, podcast called, it's now called Tropical MBA. At the time, it was called Lifestyle Business Podcast. And they had a community called the Dynamite Circle, which we joined. It was like a forum of mm-hmm. digital nomads. And they had a huge hub over in Vietnam and Saigon and in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Really? Okay. A few others. And like, there's one in Germany, there's one in Bali. Um, but the one in Chiang Mai, we just loved. Like, it felt like we found our people, right? So we stepped off the plane, instantly had a network of people who got what we were trying to do. They were doing the same kind of thing. Everyone was like trying to optimize their lifestyle, um, make the most out of the money they were making. Health was a big priority and we would all do trips together. It was just such a cool experience. So the people was what dictated the move to to Thailand plus curry and <laughs> coconut water and really cheap drinks right, right. Um, and beaches. Um, and then from there, we desperately realized that we needed to be back on a decent time zone. If we really wanted to take things up a notch, mm-hmm. um, it's very hard to communicate with a team who's over on this side of the world sure. when we were on that side of the world. So there were just like little elements there that influenced our decision from moving back from Thailand to Toronto. But 
it was such a special time in our in our lives. And we're super pumped to go back and actually take Kai there because there's a ton of digital nomad families living there, like ones with babies. And yeah. it was just such a cool experience to see how they're kind of hacking their lifestyle. So we'll yeah, I had, I had a guest on the show about a year and a half or so ago who was RVing across Mexico cool. and with uh two kids two or three kids and i bow down to that that's impressive yeah yeah and yeah he was just looking for a campground with great wi-fi basically and do those exist in mexico apparently yeah he was (laughs) he was finding some we we were able to do a skype you know interview it it worked out pretty well for him but um with video no no it was audio okay okay yeah yeah it's before sort of the the big video craze here but um (laughs) But yeah, so I have to admit, I always very, very impressed by that. I mean, I have a hard time staying organized enough uh, living in New York City as opposed to uh, in <laughs> I Chiang didn't Mai. know you lived in New York City. Yeah, well, I, I split time between New York and San Diego, so rough uh, life. It rough is. Life it is. Some, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, so you have a partnership with your husband. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you split up who does what? That is pr- okay. So it took us a while to figure that out. Actually, yeah, well, so now I, I'm like, oh, it's super easy. But like two years of battles and divorce days, as I call them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, who's in charge? We're, is that oh, a real question? Well, I had to ask. Andy, yeah, <laughs> come on. Um, <laughs> um, but truthfully, one thing we realized is after all the like, just so we started our business. The, the year we were getting married, like, don't do that because it was full of second thoughts. Right. Are we going to get married? Uh Um, and then the second year of our business was our first year of marriage. So it was definitely tough, but it forced us to figure this out. So we learned that we really needed to identify our strengths and what we like doing and then divide and conquer and not go into each other's lanes. So Josh very much handles all of our paid content. Like he does all the training. He leads all the webinars. He does all the automation and the strategy. He thinks up a lot of big ideas. He does things like onboarding our team, um, that kind of stuff. And I do this kind of stuff like presence. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of, I do all the content creation, like the writing, Mm -hmm. um, all the emails, the promotions, if we're doing affiliate promotions or if we're ever doing like, we have a, a promotion for our program, 90 day traffic coming up. So I've done all that. Um, and then I do like the groups and all of that kind sure. of stuff. So we just divide our, our strengths, conquer our own little areas. And then he does not mess with my side and I do not <laughs> mess with his side. And it's been glorious since we figured that out. And do you guys have a, a team now, a virtual team or an actual yeah. team? Um, we've just started building our local team, which is great. So we have our integrator, if you've ever read Rocket Fuel or Traction. So right. essentially yeah. like our number two, right. the backbone to our business. Her name is Nikki. She's in Toronto, so she's fantastic. Um, and she very much handles a lot of our projects. She She's now starting to hire other team members and onboard them, train them. Um, she does a lot of the back-end side of things. Then we have a community coach and customer support and then a tech and billing person and a graphics person so far, but we're looking to expand. Wow. And are those virtual or actual employees? Um, Customer support, community, tech and billing, and graphics are all virtual Virtual. as of right now. Yeah. Yeah. Alicia, who does community and customer support at the moment, she's like a five-hour drive, so she'll come up quite a few times. And don't forget Mrs. Doubtfire. 
yes, of course. Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> my saving grace. All right. <laughs> so one of the things I really want to get into is, is you labeled, and you talked about this earlier, is you label what you do a movement. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, more and more people are sort of using this term. I'm sort of always fascinated by what people think about it. So, yeah, from a marketing standpoint, as you're thinking about positioning and what you're doing, what what's a movement? Well, to me, it really started to click when people were using our brand name as a verb. And I was like, oh, damn, we're on to something here. Because they would say, I screwed my nine to five, or I can't wait to screw my nine to five. Mm-hmm. Or they labeled themselves scroopies. Um, <sighs> people inside our private community have called themselves scrammily. So there's things like they're identifying as followers or believers of this brand they mm-hmm. use it in a verb setting and once that started to happen i was like this is a movement right it's it's what everyone who is stuck in a job they hate wants to do they want to screw it they want to get out of it mm-hmm. um, they want to call the shots in their own lives and figure out what that looks like for themselves and so uh, i do everything i can to kind of foster that without losing my own mind <laughs> um i've had experiences in the past where i've kind of just given all of myself to that kind of thing and ended up getting super uh, burnt out and slightly resentful Mm -hmm. (laughs) and having a baby really forced me to kind of like, I was a stage five clinger before for all of our audience members. (laughs) I had to know everything that they were doing and be in control had to be the chick. Um, And now, so since we had Kai, that's definitely settled down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is life transforming, right? Yeah. In ways you never expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember having a flying back from New York, actually, back to San Diego with a friend at one point years and years and years ago. And and his wife was pregnant at the time with their first child, and I'd already had mine. And I said, he said, what's the big change? I said, well, the first big change is you just can't believe that the instant you see this person materialize, you know, that they mean everything to you. Oh, and how everything no, but- changes instantly. And he sort of looked at me like, you know, I was I was uh, reading out of a playbook or something. <laughs> I said because you don't believe it. Yeah, I said you just just wait. You'll yeah, you'll understand. I I didn't believe it. Like I was actually I talked about this on a few other podcasts. Like I was really scared I was going to hate being a mom <laughs> because I well, I'm very sure it's not much, uncommon. Yeah, well, the more I started talking about it, the more I realized no, it's not uncommon right, at all. Right, which was very um, kind of comforting. But yeah, you nailed it when you said they mean everything to you right away. Yeah, well, it's so funny. You rarely, you don't hear men as often say, "I'm scared of becoming a dad." Right? I mean, it's, it's mm. right. I mean, it's, it's totally, it's, it's true. It's they're like, "Oh, I'll figure it out." Meanwhile, women are like, "Oh my god, what does this mean?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's also an assumption that the woman's going to carry more of the load of it. See, right? Uh, Rightly yeah, or wrongly, so. <laughs> so I, I, I think that plays into it just a little bit. I think so. <laughs> so getting back to the, this movement is. Is one question I always wonder is, is do we sort of over glamorize the whole idea of being an entrepreneur? You know, this this idea of being yes. in control. Because because I know a lot of a lot. I know a fair number of people actually who who thought that having control by being an entrepreneur or thought by being an entrepreneur they'd have that control. And actually mm-hmm. what they've done is they've gone back to corporate life because what they really just wanted was to carve out their own niche. Yeah. And especially because, you know, primarily sort of sales oriented audiences. And so I'm talking about people that were in sales, where they were senior people in sales, but would would say, Yeah, I just really wanted to manage territory. I'm really mm-hmm. I'm good at it. 
I can do it in 30 hours a week. I can spend the time. I do have control over, even though I work for somebody, I do have that control over my life. And I thought, that's interesting. We sort of have this mythology that that really to get that control, you have to you have to work for yourself. But it's possible to also do it working for other people. And I don't think we I don't think we encourage that enough. Well, and I'm sure that I mean I've never worked a corporate job to be honest. I was a bartender, so my nine to five was like nine p.m. till five a.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know what it's like to sit in a cubicle and hate what you do. Right. Um, but I sure shit know what it's like to hate a nine to five because I hated my bartending job. I was probably the angriest bartender you could get served by, um, <laughs> at least towards the end. Cause I did it for so long. Um, well, but what, what, me, what, what pissed you off? Just the dumb questions or like, <sighs> so jaded, like shitty tips. <laughs> I would just be like, I would flick coins back at people. I was a real, I was a real bastard towards the end. <laughs> I very much needed to quit that job. Um, I would like spray pop on my bar and put people's change in it. Oh my god! I'm Wait, so I was pop as the cleanser or something? Oh, sorry, like um, soda. Oh, soda. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. Americans, yeah. you're so yeah, funny. yeah. Well, yeah. Soda pop. Actually, um, we, in Wisconsin where I grew up, they called it pop, but I, I've forgotten that. So, yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah, my bar partner and I would spray the bar with pop. and put people <laughs> So it just gets sticky. Such a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it worked. So, um, but yeah. So for, I absolutely agree. I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur. I don't think everyone has a stomach for it. There's a lot of up and de- ups and downs. There's a lot of, you need to have a strong tolerance for risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and the feels that you feel, mm-hmm. um, the ups and downs, the stresses and the successes, you know, you need to keep your feet on the ground. Once you do start hitting some solid momentum and some solid wins, it's easy to get very like, Oh my God, I figured it all out. Um, yeah, complacent. I right. can take my foot off the gas now. And I've certainly both Josh and I have certainly been there. We took a foot off the gas and it sucked once you, once that momentum mm-hmm. slows it down. Um, and I've seen a lot of people kind of bail out of entrepreneurship because they're, they're like, you know what? I thought this would be easier and I'd much rather have something that's secure and steady and I just know what to expect and I can shut my brain off at, at night. Whereas us entrepreneurs are like a different breed of crazy. And so while we are working or sorry, when we aren't working, we're still kind of sort of thinking about work, you know? So, Oh yeah, no, this is, this is actually you know, for people in sales. This is, they've listened to this podcast at all. They know that I believe there's never an off switch. You know, that's the thing about being in sales. So sales is extremely entrepreneurial, even if you're working for a company. I can imagine. Yeah. If you don't treat it that way, then it's problematic quite honestly. And, and yeah, it always drives me crazy to talk to people in sales, professionals who think that life is an open book test. And if they need to you know, learn anything or recall anything, they can go to their system and drag it out as opposed to just constantly having it back there ruminating, which yeah. is, you said, a very entrepreneurial, but I mean, it's really, it's a mindset that, that salespeople need to have as well. Mm. I was talking to a nanny that I was interviewing yesterday and she said, oh yeah, I just want to do this part-time because I'm starting my own business. And I was like, cool, I'm going to stop you right there. This isn't a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> because I train entrepreneurs and I know how distracted you can be. And like, I want, if I'm going to hire a nanny, I want your attention on our son. I don't want you thinking like, what can I do to make more sales? Like you're not even present at that point. You know what I mean? So I just like, I, it was like a three minute interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 
what she's doing doesn't scale. That's a that's a one to one, and she is well, not. She had this she is, whole like she wants. To, yeah, she had this whole daycare software idea, which was a fantastic idea. I said, "That sounds like a great idea. You should do it." But I'm not going to hire as an Yeah, <laughs> I know what that looks like. So yeah. Um. So having started a movement, how do you sustain a movement? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it certainly ebbs and flows, and when it. And when it ebbs, you get like, oh my God, is our time over? And when it flows, you're like, this is the greatest feeling in the world. Um, so you sustain it by presence, consistency, value, impact, um, asking people what they want, like keeping your finger on the pulse. That's the biggest one. Like I'm always asking inside our free group, mm-hmm. what do you guys want? Or is this a good idea? Or would you want this? Or do you want to learn about this? Or what podcast topics should we talk about? All of that kind of stuff. I'm always just going directly to the source mm-hmm. so I can continue to create a really rad free space for people to hang out in um, and a really solid brand that people actually want to give a damn about. You say you ask those questions within your free group. You also have a private group, though, too, right? I do, yeah. So, so we have a, don't you ask okay. the questions in both places? I do, but I, I mean, they, they get access to all of our stuff. Sure. <laughs> so they get, like, the benefits are the, the plus side of me doing all of that market research because I'm like, fantastic, I'll create that, we'll sell it, but I also put it in our paid community and they just get access to it. But, I mean, Josh has certainly done polls inside of our paid group, and then... Honestly, we do a lot of live calls with them, a lot of live coaching calls, a lot Mm -hmm. of Q&As. So it's very easy to keep an eye on what they're wanting, where they're stuck, and like the common themes that consistently pop up. Yeah. Well, I think really the theme for me is I hear what you're talking about, which is a big theme for me, which is you have to keep learning. Yeah. And you talked about taking your foot off the gas. I I think when you get complacent, then you stop learning. And Mm -hmm. if you stop learning, then... Yeah, all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is, this is something that's just not an issue for entrepreneurs. It's, it's increasingly a, an issue in the workplace for sales in particular. Sales marketing is you know one of the, the downsides, if there is one, of the internet is people get a little knowledge. They think they know everything. Yeah. And as a consequence, then they sort of get self-satisfied and they, they stop learning. Mm-hmm. And that's a bad place to be in because the world's not changed. The world's not stopping changing. Yeah. The pace of change is evolving and, you know, accelerating. So yeah, I think that's really a good sort of a good warning for people or lesson for people is again, even if they're not running a group like yours is, is if they have a customer base is you have to be continually talking to them. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's just, it makes everything so much easier. Yeah. Cause they're, they're telling you, they're telling you what to do. Yeah. And they're like thousands of mini bosses for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do this, create this, shoot this. So I'm just like, I, I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. So are, is there a specific uh, sort of segment of markets that, that your entrepreneurs primarily fit in? What are you seeing as like mm. the big trends that, that people are getting into? The ones that we best serve that we know the most about are people who have courses, membership sites specifically, because mm-hmm. um, we've had one for three years now, um, services, coaches, speakers, authors, even affiliate marketers, um, anything that's personality driven, like anyone who has a personality driven brand, mm-hmm. I know for a fact, Josh and I can help them in a big way, mm-hmm. even if they're just like... Or maybe even not personality driven, but content marketing driven. Someone who uses content marketing in their business, mm-hmm. we can 
we can help shift and change their business in big ways. And so give people an example of what you would do to shift them yeah. in a big way. Okay. So for example, one of our programs is called 90 day traffic and it gives people a structure and a system to not only create really solid, like think of them as like ultimate guides, these big, we call them cornerstone content. Mm -hmm. They're big pieces of content. So an example, if you were on the screw, um, would be our post on webinars. So screw the nine com forward slash webinars. That's like a huge blog post I wrote. I think it's like 12,000 words or something insane like that. Um, all about how to create host and close with webinars. And it is monetized strictly through affiliate links, which I love. I love affiliate revenue. It's mm -hmm. our favorite form mm -hmm. of revenue in our business. Or then we have another, um, post like how to get more website traffic and it leads into 90 day traffic or I have a post around Facebook groups and it leads into a training Josh and I did with David Seitman Garland or we have a post around how to create a sales funnel and it leads into our course perfect sales funnel so there's these like big pillar posts mm -hmm. that not only rank on Google and get organic traffic which is perfectly aligned with what you're trying to sell right. um, but it gets shared um, you can promote them over and over. You can ask other influencers to come in and give quotes and then share them out to their audience. It's just a fantastic way to not only build organic traffic, but make passive income. Then, So that's one kind of piece of that framework. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is what we call community content and stuff like this, doing podcasts, or if you're a blog writer, you write blog posts, or if you shoot videos. Um, so we have a system that allows you to batch three months of content in seven days. So we give people that procedure so they can just plug it into their business. And then there's the third piece, which is um, like promotional content. So that's me doing this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm posts, getting featured places. And then there's the first element is how to track it all, like how to set up right. all your data side of things. So um, using content marketing, which is a perfect example of that in itself, um, that's something we can help people implement in their business that will not only give them their time back because you're not sitting there creating every day, all day, every single week being like, what should I write this mm -hmm. week? You have a whole system there. Um, and then we have this cornerstone piece, which continuously attracts new organic traffic and just expands your audience in bigger ways. Or for example, if it were to be about sales funnels, like we have this whole training around how to implement that in your business. Or if you wanted to learn community building with free groups, like we have that whole system. So all of that we believe is related to content marketing, whether it's community content, promotional content, you know, organic SEO driven content, mm -hmm. all of that helps to build these brands. And if you think about it, some of the biggest brands use that stuff in their business, i.e. Pat Flynn, Neil Patel, sure. um, things like um, Tone It Up, which is, I love those chicks, Karina and Katrina, um, which is like a fitness and health and lifestyle brand or um, like Pop Sugar, like any mm -hmm. of these huge content networks that have ginormous audiences have been built off the back of content marketing. Yeah. And it's the thing that I think that's, that's most intimidating to entrepreneurs. Totally. Because you're, you're like, about. Oh, I don't want to sit there and build, write content all day, every day until my eyes bleed. And we're like, cool, we have a system. Yeah. You <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 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 One piece a week. Yeah. Well, it, you can batch it all. And like sure. the cornerstone pieces that's like 80% of your traffic, truthfully, off like 20% of your content, which is 
hello, sexy leverage. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, we're running out of time. So tell folks how they can get in touch with you guys and learn mm. more about what you do. Yeah, the easiest way is just to head on over to screwthe9to5.com, all spelled out, or come join us in our free group. And that's just screwcommunity.com. On Facebook. All yeah. right, perfect. Well, Jill, thank you very much. And uh, say hi to Josh for me. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you, Jill. Again, that was Jill Stanton. Joining me next, as always at this time, is my friend Bridget Gleason. Bridget is Vice President of Sales at Logs.io. And today, Bridget and I are going to talk about what it takes for a salesperson to become interested to her or his prospects. And so we're going to share some really practical and proven strategies that you can use to authentically connect on a personal level with your buyers. Start building that really essential relationship. All right, let's jump into it. Bridget, how are you doing? Andy, Andy, Andy. So what's our, I hear some clicking noise. Is that you? That's, uh, it's, it's Slack messages oh. coming. <laughs> well, it's funny because I said, I said, Bridget, Bridget, Bridget. I goes, click, 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 click. Yeah. Do you see, I've got this power of you do making the computer and the electronic devices do things. Yes. Around. You're a mentalist. Right. I'm a mentalist. I want to, and I'm just practicing now until I can, I don't know what I'm going to have it do, but you're going to do bigger gonna, things. Like the little things. You're going to go, oh, have a Vegas show. All right. Does it have to be in Vegas? No, it could be at Atlantic City. <laughs> I, I guess I'd have to like those shows. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, all right. So how are you doing? Good. Andy, Andy. Great, great, great. Fantastic. Great, great. Fantastic, 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 fantastic. Okay. And you? Uh, good. Hot. I mean, it's hot. horrible hot day in New York, and and uh, yeah, I have to make sure my as we found out the uh, last episode is I really have to have the air conditioner off when we talk. Yes. So, yeah. So I'm. This is sort of like uh, losing weight, wearing a rubber suit type thing. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, see, it has a dual purpose. See? A dual purpose. Yes. Yes. That's good. Lucky you. Lucky me. Slimming down as we talk. So uh, today I thought we'd talk about what it takes to be interesting in sales. Uh, okay. Are, so we bringing, that, are we bringing a guest speaker to help us? <laughs> <laughs> or us? Me and the you two most boring people in the world. <laughs> right. right. Um, no. Okay. But I mean, I, this is this some, an aspect that, that, you know, if we're trying to, again, following up theme we've talked about, we're in the relationship business, you know, in order to connect and engage with another person, we have to be interesting to them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, actually relationships in general, whether it's in sales or in life, you know, we have to be interesting. So I guess the question is, you know, what, what's it take to be interesting and for a salesperson to be interesting? And, um, yeah, I, I, read an article, a number of articles about this. And one I sort of liked was saying that that to be interesting to someone else is you have to be, and this, this was not talking specifically about business, but saying that you have to be well-informed and you have to be ready to stray outside your comfort zone. Huh. I hadn't heard that. I mean, what I always hear when that question is asked, mm-hmm. you've probably heard it as well, is... Best way to be interesting is to be interested. Oh, I, yeah, we're going to get to that. I, mean, I absolutely believe that's true. Yes. You know, so to be, I think this aspect of curiosity 
because you know um, who people like to talk about the most. Themselves. Themselves. And so people find other people interesting often when all they're doing is, is a mirror that's reflecting mm-hmm. back. So I would say that's one, being interested. It helps if you are genuinely interested. Yeah, and I, we started talking about that a couple weeks ago with, with um, I think I, I talked, well, I talked about the, you and I brought up the Anthony Bourdain quote about what he said yeah. was, you know, what he does isn't complicated, it just shows up and acts interested. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that, I like, I like, so I, like we do. I like the what you said, you know, to be informed. And I think too, I think people who are, who are informed are generally just curious. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy um, to be looking about what's going on in the world. I hadn't heard or pondered this notion of getting outside your comfort zone. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that this really aligns with the whole thing because it's, it's, I think it's sometimes hard for people to ask questions of other people on a personal nature. Let's say like, let's take the whole small talk issue, right? That's hard for some people. A lot of times it's just, yeah, I want to dive right into my like, pitch and they like it when the customer says, okay, what do you do? As opposed to investing some of themselves because I believe that when you're asking somebody a question, a small talk or whatever, you're, you're opening yourself up to the possibility they're going to ask about you in return. And a lot of people are just really uncomfortable talking about themselves. You know, they don't like being vulnerable. And the vulnerability actually is another way to make yourself interesting to people, is to demonstrate that you're a real person, demonstrate you're an authentic person, that you've got concerns and fears and so on and so forth. And, you know, without, you know, turning your prospect into your therapist, I mean, it's, it's okay to be, what's that, outside your comfort zone and, and vulnerable. Yeah, I don't like small talk. I don't feel very comfortable with small talk either. Like I'd rather talk about something. Um, oh, it's small talk can be meaning can be meaningful as well. I mean, it's not like just how's the weather, right? That's, that's boring. That's boring, right? You're but saying small talk doesn't have to be boring. That's true. That's just true. something that's of interesting to of interest to them. And it could start with a question. You know, hey, I see a. You know, a mug from this restaurant on your shelf. You know, I've had that with customers. That's yeah, interesting. I've heard of that restaurant. You know, why do you like it? Or, yeah, who knows what? But it's just you know, something you connect, something that you see. And yeah, it invites the possibility they're going to say, well, that's, yeah, what, what do you like? True. It's funny, Andy. Very rarely do I hear people as inquisitive or asking back, particularly once they start talking about themselves. They tend to like to stay on that topic. Yeah, some definitely do. I mean, that's how you know researchers built whole industries around, around that whole idea of appealing to people's vanity to get them to talk. Yeah. But I think if it's done in the method that, that we talked about before, is a couple weeks ago, is, is you, know, you have an authentic interest, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to go home and write a book about something, but you know, I when I meet a, a potential prospect, does yeah, I, I want to know about this person. Because the more I know about this person, the better I feel I have an opportunity to to win their business. So 
Yeah. Asking a question, just like opening a door, and then I sincerely am interested because, you know, for me, that's, that's a prime motivation of, of starting the conversation is learn more about them because, yeah, I, I want to help them. And if I can help them, then ultimately I benefit as well. Yeah, I think, too, on this, uh, this notion of being well-informed, mm. I often, in conversation, I find someone interesting who's got knowledge about something that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. And so a good conversationalist can sort of follow the breadcrumb trail, you know, and, and pick up on things that are maybe interesting or interest. Sometimes it's what you see in an office or an environment that you can, you can pick up on. And like I had mentioned to one of the guys on my team that I was telling him how on the executive team at Logs.io, everyone is served in the military. Mm-hmm. Most people in Israel, it's compulsory, but we've got our CMO here who was in uh, the Army. The U.S. Army. The U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. And I said, gosh, here these people are out, like, doing meaningful work at that age. And I was, you know, sweeping up popcorn at Marine Land. (laughs) And he said... Marine Land? That brings back memories. Go ahead. He said, Marine Land? there's this great documentary. Have you seen the documentary Blackfish about the killers? And I said, no. And he started telling me about this documentary. I watched it that night. I'm, but he, he took a comment just, Oh yeah, I worked at Marine land and said, Oh, do you know about the killer whales and being captivity? And it was a really interesting Mm -hmm. conversation. And another one that we, I'm just thinking about some of them that happened here at the office. I don't know, forever, for whatever reason, we always, we talk a lot about books. We talk a lot about podcasts. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about diets and it's not me. Yeah. It, but I think people are, are bringing different pieces of information to the table and there's a lot of just curious dialogue that happens. And I think that's kind of what you want to foster also in, in kind of a sales relationship. Absolutely. How can I listen to what's being said, a comment, a, Oh, you're, you know, whether it's maybe it's about a family vacation, where are you going? You had mentioned you're going to be going up to Maine. Oh, last time I was in Maine, I don't have a story about Maine story about family vacation, but, uh, but I think being able to, yeah, connect the dots and not being afraid to do so just to take the conversation in places. Maybe it wouldn't just well, like the person on your team. I mean, that's a, a perfect example, right? As they, they took a cue, they had some knowledge based on, yeah, just being aware of something. I mean, not everybody in the world has watched blackfish, but it's a great documentary. Yeah. Well, not, yeah, it's <laughs> in our backyard um, in San Diego. But yes, yeah. and as an aside, San Diego yes. was the one when they shut down Marineland 
and they airlifted Orky and Corky under the cover of darkness to Does your neck of the woods to see. Oh, really? Yeah, they had told the community when they bought Marine Land that, oh, we wouldn't dream of shutting down, you know, money sucking Marine Land. We want to keep it here. The, it, the deal went through. They, they moved them out that night. Wow. Yeah, I went to that Marine Land, I won't say how long ago, but. Yeah, it hasn't been there for quite some time. Yeah, but uh, back when I was on his prime, and yes. The prime, it was a short-lived prime. <laughs> okay, prime was short. Family vacation that encompassed uh, Disneyland and. Marine Land? And Marine Land, yes. It was a cute little place. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that <laughs> not to get. And, and now we've gotten way off topic. And well, see, I remember, I remember Marineland because this podcast, except Marineland and Blackfish and Blackfish. Yeah. Well, the reason Marineland was memorable is because as a kid, I was infatuated with otters. Favorite uh, favorite uh, animal, and Marineland had otters. Yes, and that was the the highlight that of that trip. I, I remember that. I could have been there sweeping up popcorn. Were you little? Yeah. Okay, then no. No, no. <laughs> then no, I was not. No. Was everybody for the record? No. For the record, yes. no, I was not. No, you weren't. So, but yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I, that's that's the type of thing. I really think that, you know, I look back on my experience in sales, and I've sold or literally around the world, you know, every continent but Antarctica, <laughs> taking orders from customers, and have traveled to, and... Um. Yeah, I think it was the ability to be sort of interested in them and to be well-rounded, to have some knowledge of what was happening in that country, that city, that you know, that part of the world. That enabled me to connect with people. Yeah, I mean, I really attribute a substantial chunk of my you know success over my career to that that ability, which a lot of it I think is. I said, based on just sort of general, general knowledge and the ability to connect at a, a human level. I think people, I, I think that is also important is to be able to establish some connection. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think that really helps. And it doesn't mean, I think sometimes people feel that for you to establish that connection and to be really a people person, you also have to be an extrovert. Yeah, and not at all. I'm not. I am so not an extrovert at all. And so I think the two don't necessarily go hand in hand. You can very much be able to establish rapport and really demonstrate sort of communication, good communication skills and caring and being curious and interested. Don't need to be an extrovert. You don't need to do it all day long. You don't need to go up to strangers. (laughs) Well, I I think there's... Some school of thought that says that you know extroverts doesn't mean they can't be curious and aren't, but the, ten- the tendency is not to be because it's about them. Yeah, well, and I think an extrovert. I, I'm obviously no expert on extroverts. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily that they're maybe narcissistic or not narcissistic. <laughs> it's, it's just they have a different way they get energy, and they get energy by the the interaction with other people. That'd be an interesting question is, is, are narcissists more likely to be extroverts? 
you, you could probably Google it. Yeah. yeah okay. And, and get a really scientific <laughs> answer. Okay. It's really scientific, like as yeah. good as, you know, Harvard study. Yeah. One, one sample size. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'd be definitive. All right. We'll look that for a future episode about nar- <laughs> narcissism and narcissism and sales. Narcissism and sales and extroverts. Actually, that's a, that'd be an interesting topic. Narcissism and sales. We'll definitely have to Google that. No, we should talk about that one. That would be really interesting. In fact, what's interesting about it, okay, we'll talk about it for one minute. Sure. Is we're moving to a model. I may have mentioned this. Um, team selling, all team selling. Mm-hmm. Shared quotas. And there's been a lot of discussion about, wait a minute, do you really think this is a good idea? Because a traditional salesperson is very much what's in it for me. That, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that person's a narcissist, but they're, they're very much that what's in it for me. Mm. And who are we going to find if we're not getting those people? And I said, I'm okay. I'm okay if, um, if we miss out on a few. <laughs> I've never hired a salesperson let me rephrase that. I have rejected candidates explicitly who say they're primarily motivated by money. And do you know, Andy, that I almost didn't get my first job in sales because the hiring manager who ended up hiring me, when he was asking me questions to determine how motivated I was about money, mm. it, I wasn't enough. Like I, I, and he just thought, she's not going to be any good. Yeah, that's the way they all thought about it, right? I mean, we were we were of the generation that, you know, when you start to field sales jobs, as you and I did, what's the first thing the manager wants you to do? Go buy a new car. Go buy a new car because you exactly. needed a car payment to motivate you to get your butt out of bed in the morning to go make calls. They really thought so little of us that right. we were these coin-operated right you know, beings that they could just, you know, wind us up, drop a couple quarters in and away we'd go. Yeah. No. no. In fact, I was, I was thinking back as somebody has asked me about this oh, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at the, thinking back to the cars that we all drove. Yeah. We had a pretty good branch and not many people drove new cars. I mean, the pressure was there. In fact, my manager was extremely upset with me when I sold my car to somebody else within the in the branch. And my car was a was fourteen years old when I sold it to that guy. You know what, Andy? It's so funny. People don't think about it today, but I remember being with my sales manager, and we're having a one-on-one. It was early in the morning. And he looks out the window and he said, oh, oh my God, that's great. Al just bought a new car. Like he saw him driving in and was enthusiastic. It's funny. I, I, I'm like you. I t- there was somebody who I interviewed who wasn't sure if he wanted to make the switch from being a sales engineer to a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And he was being paid you know, pretty well as a sales engineer, sure. had a nice lifestyle. And, and yes, the earning potential was better ultimately in sales, but he wasn't sure about this in between time. And 
Oh God, I, I really, I almost had him fill out a spreadsheet with his expenses. And, <laughs> and I said, this is in an interview. Right. Okay, and I didn't really bring out a spreadsheet, but it just sounded like he was living too close to the wire. Mm. And I said, you know, you do whatever you want, but you know, I think when you go and you go into a new environment, I would want you to be set up to have the greatest opportunity to succeed. And for me, a pressure like that nagging in the background, that's not what would motivate me. I, I'm right. more motivated by having a little bit more uh, runway and yeah. being able to figure it out. Otherwise, he's going to go running back to the safety of a previous role. Or he could. I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. <laughs> well, especially with entry-level jobs. I mean... Maybe it's not the same as much today, but I spent every dime, every dime. I mean, when we got started, right? I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was like a new, a new car. I mean, first of all, no one had given me a loan for a new car. Um, <laughs> but at that point, but I mean, you know, we all wanted to go into San Francisco and spend every dollar we had there. We didn't want to, <laughs> at night, we didn't want to buy a new car to do that. No, we didn't need anything to, you know, uh, hold us back or any any uh, obligations. We wanted as few obligations as possible. So, yeah. I mean, we we had a bunch of funny stories about cars. I mean, we had one guy who worked for me, actually inherited him. He's a previous manager, had, had hired him, but I inherited him. But he, he couldn't turn his car off. So, because you'd have to jump it, and he only wanted to do that at night. So, he would leave his car out. You'd come in from a sales call with, I remember the first time I came out a sales call, some other sales guy, and this guy's car is right by the, the side door of the building, and it's, it's idling, and it's empty. <laughs> we walk in, we go, Dave, is that your car? He goes, yeah, man, I can't turn it off. <laughs> It's like he went to call sales calls and so on. He left his car on all the time. Oh my gosh, that is great. <laughs> I had a car like that that we couldn't turn off. So uh, I know what it is. Yeah, but I graduated from it, but I, I know the I know the deal. I know the drill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is like my second car I bought. I did upgrade a little bit after a year. I sold my car to somebody else in the branch and earned my branch manager's undying enmity and then um Bought a used car myself, a more recent used car. And then about a year later, year and a half later, I was starting an engine caught fire. <laughs> I was sitting there. This is in the Bay Area. I lived in Burlingame at the time. Let's turn on the ignition. <laughs> okay, so then it's time to get a new car. I think that's... Then I got my first new car, yes. I needed it at that point. So, but, okay, uh, Andy, do you see how this conversation has just ranged yeah. all over the place? That's why we do it. From a topic of how do you be interesting to cars catching fire. All related to sales. It's all related to sales. Yeah. I was just glad my car didn't catch fire in, in front of a prospect's office. <laughs> well, okay. Let's also just say why we are just glad your car didn't catch fire with your in, you in it. Well, that's true, too. Well, actually, I was sitting in it. I'd, I'd started it. 
Oh, God. Okay, so glad that it didn't blow you up. Okay, yeah. okay. Glad there was no physical harm to yeah. any human. How's yeah. that? Yeah, we uh, the fire went out pretty quickly. Called the fire department. Took it to a, a car shop. So, any hope here? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I haven't salvaged, but I think he paid me 25 bucks for the car, something like that, just to get it towed away. Okay. So, hey, but I got a new car. Listen, that's that's right. And then your sales manager was happy, happy, happy. Well, no, at that point, I was the manager, and and uh, I was a little pissed off. I had to buy a new car, but um, whatever, right? It served as a good example, I guess, to everybody else. That's right. So, all right, Bridget. We've got to wrap it up here. I know you've got to go do something. Uh, always, always, always. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Um, so, any final words of wisdom? Blackfish. Watch Blackfish. Watch Blackfish. It's still relevant. Yeah, SeaWorld, by the way, in San Diego. And I know they've got a couple other locations, but they're really hurting. That And that that movie was really the turning point. I, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it. I just... Heard a news release of they had released earnings uh, sometime in the last couple of months. I and know. Well, if you see what they put, they're those- basically basically they've changed from that to a full fledged amusement park now, rides and so on and so forth. So they're busy trying to rebrand. Yes. Okay. Well, I wish them all the best in that. Yeah, that can. Let's let the let's let the let's let the killer whales free. Free Willie. Let's free Willie. Let's free Willie. Okay. So black. <laughs> Free Willie. All, right. All right. New motto for the show. All right. Free Willie Wednesday. All right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. <laughs> there we go. All right, Bridget. We will talk to you next time. Sounds great. Bye. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guests, Jill Stanton, and my weekly co-host, Bridget Gleason. Join me again next week, because I'm really excited to be joined by my guest next week. Join me be Harvey McKay. Harvey is the author of multiple best-selling books, including one of my all-time favorite business books, Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, Outsell, Outmanage, Outmotivate, and Outnegotiate Your Competition. You're really going to enjoy that, so make sure you tune back in for that. And of course, no Accelerate would be complete without swapping stories with Bridget. As always, she'll be joining me for our weekly conversation, so be sure to join us then. Thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. And thanks again for you joining me. Until next week, good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.